Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Mark. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion in God's Word. Amen. Amen. First and foremost, let us thank our Lord and Savior tonight, the Lord Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes, coming into our lives, and saving us, and doing for us what we can never, ever do for ourselves. Amen. We're eternally grateful. I'd like to thank all the people who serve in this ministry to keep it going, one body, many parts, many parts. Okay, grateful. If you have a cell phone, can you please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's study? And we'll start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing us this awesome opportunity tonight, Lord, and giving us this beautiful day that we can gather together to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and learn more and more about you, Lord, and how we can become more and more like you, Lord, and live a life worthy of the call, Lord. Thank you for saving us, Lord, and giving us the Holy Spirit to comfort us, teach us, correct us. Help us to see you in everything, Lord. And I pray that you take all the bitterness out of all of our hearts tonight, Lord, and fill it with your unconditional love, so we can receive the message that the Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight. We pray for the people that are sick or wayward and not with us tonight, Lord, that you touch their lives and hearts and bring them back home to you, Lord, to your house, Lord. And we pray that they have an opportunity to watch it through the live feed so they can get a portion of God's word and listen to what the Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight. And as always, let everything we be do led by your Spirit and not our flesh, and it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen, amen and amen. All right, we're going to stand. Brittany's going to come up and sing. We're going to get started.
Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Amen. Because he lives, all my fear is gone. Amen. Amen to that. That's a beautiful song, right? How's everybody doing tonight, all right? Good to see everybody come out tonight to get a portion of God's word. Amen. All right, let's go to James chapter 1. We're going to start there tonight. If you continue our study in the book of Mark, you can always go back to the website to draw off these messages from the beginning of Mark. You go through the whole book. It's an awesome study. James chapter 1, we are using the black Bibles in the pew, so help yourself to them if you don't have your own. And as always, the Holy Spirit will be taken over as I go into the Scriptures. So please prepare your hearts and clear your minds to receive the message that Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight. Amen? Okay. James chapter 1, verse 2. Faith and endurance. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, and they will, they will come your way. As long as we live on this earth, all of us will run into troubles of all kinds because we live in a fallen world. None of us are unique or escape them troubles. And as a Christian, it tells us clearly, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now the question is, when troubles come your way, do you consider it an opportunity for joy and an opportunity to grow or do you grumble and complain and gripe about it? The choice is yours, but either way, they're coming. And God sends them for a reason. The whole reason why all of us get saved is to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. And God is going to do whatever that takes to get you to suffer and submit to him. Until you do. And he's never going to stop. So if you make peace with that, you'll understand it's an opportunity for joy because God is trying to change me. Not the world, okay? The world's not going to change because you become a Christian or neither is your problems. He's simply going to give you the ability to handle them the proper way. Exactly. Now it says, for an opportunity for great joy, look at verse 3. For you know, or maybe you don't, that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. It's an opportunity to grow when the problems and trials come your way. So if you see it the right way, say, wow, this is an opportunity for me to become more and more like Jesus through this situation. I'm going to take full advantage of that, and I'm going to ride out the storm. Then it says in verse 4, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What is it saying? If you can understand God's ways and how he's doing it, you will become mature, and you won't need anything else to get through this life but the words of God Amen. and what he says. You won't need to go to anything else but the word. Amen. And you'll be mature and you'll be content wherever God has you. That's what maturity is all about. Now, a lot of us don't like where God has us. We want better, bigger, this, and we try to change it. You can try to change whatever you want to change, but God is going to have his way. So if you want to fight against God, go for it. You're not going to win. None of us will win. Because once you become a Christian and make a, say that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, he never stops working on you and he never lets go of you. So you can't, even if you don't want it, he says, that's too bad, you're mine. And I'm going to fix you. 
till you go home to be with me. <laughs> you should thank him for that because we all need fixing, right? Thank God we have a hospital to heal right there. Does any of us think we're unique and that our troubles are worse than everybody else's? They're not. All of us have troubles. It's how we handle them, which means everything. Now look what it says in verse 5. If you need wisdom, go to counseling. This is what people do. Christians go to counseling, worldly counseling. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. So somebody that comes to church one day, then doesn't come again, and does this and that, wavers back and forth, says they're unsettled, they're always churning up, they're always turbulent, they're not growing, they're not changing. And it says, look at verse 7, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. The Lord requires one thing from us, is that we remain faithful to him. Because he's always faithful to us. And when we are faithful to him, he promises us that he's going to what? Help us to change and to grow. And he's going to work with us. Amen? But when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful because he can't deny who he is. Now, when you become unfaithful and rebellious against him, he says, okay. And what does he do? He turns up the heat with suffering till you find your way. You tap on and say, all right, Lord, I've been trying to play God long enough. It's your turn to come back on the throne. And that's how he does it. Can I get amen for this? He's a good God. <laughs> People just get the misunderstanding of God as like some genie. When I come to him, he's just going to fix all my troubles. It doesn't work that way. He gives us the ability to fix them. Amen? Yeah. Now it says, their loyalty, why, why won't they expect to receive anything? Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor. Have something to boast about, for God has honored them. Now, people in this world that doesn't have a lot, they gripe and complain, but it says people will have something to boast about, because God has honored them. So the Bible says it's an honor to be poor. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers, the little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Amen? Some people live in the world to achieve and achieve and achieve and get, 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 and none of it is coming with you. All of it stays here. One life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. Everything else you do for yourself down here gets burned up you can't take it with you anyway, and it's absolutely worthless in the kingdom of God. Now it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. God bless, let me read that again. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, and you are going to get tempted, 
you will get tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Can I get an amen for that? Where does temptation come from? Let's find out what the Bible says where our temptations come from. Temptations come from our own desires. They come from us, within us, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. What is he talking about here? You start thinking about something sinful in your mind, and you keep thinking about it, and thinking about it, and thinking about it, until you think about it long enough, it gives birth to the action that you're thinking of. That's what it's talking about. Instead of changing the channel, getting on your knees, submitting to God, resisting the devil so he goes away, you keep romancing the thought until it gives birth to an action. Now give me amen for this. We have to understand how sin works. And it gives birth to what? Death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. And a lot of Christians are misled because they're not taught properly. My dear brothers and sisters, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us. All right, here it is right here. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his what? His word. The word of God is what what? Changes us. And if you don't read the word of God, you will never change. Never, never, ever, ever. There's no other way to change but through the word of God. Because he changes you from the inside out, not the outside in. Can I get an amen for this? This change in your job or your location or your clothes does not change the bitterness and anger and fear and resentment that's in your heart. The only thing that can change that is the mighty God of the Bible who comes into our hearts, the Holy Spirit comes in and starts changing our desires. Amen? And we can't do that. That's why we need a Savior. He give, and we out of his all creation, look, out of all creation became his prized possession. We're all his masterpiece. But I can't finish here. We have to continue. This is the big point. Here's the, here's the punchline, right? Is everybody ready for this one? Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Does everybody want to get an understanding tonight? You're going to get one right now. Pay attention. My dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak. So you got two ways to listen and one mouth to speak. So keep your ears open and your mouth shut. That's what it's telling us. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. <clears throat> now look at verse 21. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your heart. For it has the power to save your souls. It's the word of God that saves your soul. Can I get an amen for this? There's no other way. People don't read the Bible and expect salvation. It doesn't come. Salvation comes through the word of God. Jesus Christ is the word of God. You have to understand that. Now, here's verse 22. Now, here's the real punchline. 
But don't just listen to God's word. You're listening to God's word tonight, right? What's the next thing? You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, we're studying, we're doing obey on Sunday, aren't we? So listen, listen, what it's, listen what it says here. If you listen to what God is saying, but don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law of the word that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Oh, we're almost done here. Let's finish this. If you claim to be religious, okay, but don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure, genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means what? Caring for people. Caring, it says caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And what's the next thing? What's genuine faith in God and a religion? And refusing to let the world corrupt you. How about a big amen for that? You want to be, you want to say that you're religious? You refuse to let the world corrupt you and you what? You care for other people. That proves that you have, your religion is solid and real. Amen? That proves that your faith is real and that you are saved. Amen? And not letting the world corrupt you. <laughs> That's the truth. That was a great scripture. It was only supposed to be two to eight, but we went all the way through it. <laughs> hey, let the spirit speak, right? <clears throat> I can't control what God's going to say. I'm just the vessel, right? Amen. And it's the truth that sets you free. Amen. We just, we just learned the truth. If we want all the blessings that God has to offer us, we got to what? Listen to the word, obey the word, and do what it says. Otherwise, it's useless. You're not going to get anything. All right. Let's go to Mark chapter 6. We're going to continue our study. Does anybody remember where we left off? <laughs> Everybody's remembering that. Mark 30, verse 30 down. I want to make sure. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. We're going to start there tonight. We're going to stay there and go down. Okay. But Jesus feeds 5,000. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught, okay? In verse 30, let me just say something before we go on. Mark uses the word apostles here. He uses the word apostles here. Apostle means one sent as messenger, authorized agent or missionary. That's what an apostle is. That's what it means. The word became an official title for Jesus, Jesus' 12 disciple after his death and resurrection, as it tells us in Acts 1, 25 to 26, in Ephesians 2, verse 20. Okay, so that's what an apostle means. A messenger or an authorized agent or missionary. Verse 31. Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Everybody needs to go off to a quiet place 
in rest. The world, especially America, leaves us no time to rest and get with God. It never does it. And the devil controls this world system, and that's why he does that. So we don't go get take time to rest. So we get what? Busy, 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 frustrated, frustrated, frustrated all the time because we're always working, 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 working. And that's the devil's age trump, and it stops us from what? Developing that peace, that relationship with God in a quiet place, talking to your father quietly, shutting off the phone, the TV, and everything, and just sitting quietly with your father. That's something that has to be practiced. It's a learned behavior, something that we have to do. I do that all the time. I have to. I have to get quiet with the Lord. You know, my, sometimes my wife will be in bed, and I'll be up. I won't be sleeping. I'm quiet. And that's when I talk to the Lord. When nobody's around him, it's quiet. Because that's when I could connect with him. Other than that, everything else is running through my mind. Work, ministry, everything. Something, you have to practice that. And then you get better at it. Okay? Let me just keep going in thirty. In verse thirty-one, when the disciples had returned from their mission, okay, Jesus took them away to rest. Okay, doing God's work is very important. It is, but Jesus recognized that to do it effectively, we need periodic rest and renewal. Okay, Jesus and his disciples, however, did not always find it easy to get the rest they needed. And guess what? Neither do we. Neither do we. Okay, in verse 32. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could what? Be alone. A lot of us are afraid to be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. If you look out in that world right now, that's just what the people of the world are like. They're like lost out there. Sheep without a shepherd. This wandering aimlessly through life, not knowing what their purpose is, no direction, just living what they want and what they feel by what they feel, having no purpose and direction, and they're like wandering like lost sheep. That's how the devil has them. And you know what another funny thing is? We sit around and say, I'm bored. Quiet time should never be boring. Quiet time is the opportunity to get with the Lord. You see? The world gets bored. I'm bored. There's nothing to do. There's always something to do. Like be quiet and pray. <laughs> pray for people. Okay. Jesus saw the huge crowd, he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep. So we began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You feed them. <laughs> what? They asked. We have to work for months to earn enough money, or it would take 200 denarii. A denarius was equivalent to a laborer's full day's wage. 
to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported. We have five loaves, right, of bread and two fish. <laughs> We've got five loaves of bread and two fish and 5,000 people that are starving. Maybe we can cut the fish up in little pieces, right? They came back and reported. We have five loaves and two fish. But then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. Huh? How could they how could five thousand people eat as much as they wanted? Now you know it as well as I do, some people can eat big a lot of food, right? Imagine five thousand people. I'm sure there was some gavones in there. <laughs> Saying this is a free meal for me. <laughs> right? When everybody has a free meal, man, they're going after everything. They want it all, right? <laughs> a bunch of carvones back then, right? <laughs> Even at the buffet, right? All right, let me just reiterate around that buffet. <laughs> All right, let me just, when Jesus asked the disciples to provide food for over 5,000 people, okay, they were amazed and said it would take a small fortune to feed such a crowd. How do you react when you are given an impossible task? A situation that seems impossible with human resources is simply an opportunity for God. The disciples did everything they could by gathering the available food and organizing the people into groups. Then, in answer to prayer, God did the impossible. What did Jesus do? He prayed, right? And that's how he did it. God did it in a supernatural way. When all seems impossible and you go to God, he's the one that provides the miracle, amen? When it's impossible in human way, God, anything's possible with God. If we trust him and believe him. Okay? When facing a seemingly impossible task, do what you can and ask God to do the rest. He may see fit to make the impossible happen. And why did Jesus bother to feed these people? He could just as easily have sent them on their way. Jesus does not ignore needs, however. Thank you, Jesus. He is concerned with every aspect of our lives, the physical as well as the spiritual. We might well ask why the church has taken so lightly the command, you feed them. Jesus' compassion for these hungry people is recorded in all four Gospels. Okay, For people who are desperately hungry, there is no better way for us to show God's love to them than to help to provide their physical needs. As we work to bring homeless to people's lives, we must never ignore the fact that all of us have both physical and spiritual needs. 
It is impossible to minister effectively to the spiritual need without considering the physical need. Right? How do you show a spiritual how do you show spiritual fruit? By meeting a physical need, right? By showing love to the unlovable, right? By helping somebody that you really wouldn't help in the flesh. That's how you show the spirituality. Something physical, something spiritual has to be tangible. That's what James is trying to say. Your faith is useless if you don't show it by your deeds. Because nobody can see your faith. They can only see your faith through an action. Can I get an amen for this? When you try to help people, the ones that don't try to take advantage of you and use you, of course, you have to have discernment there. Right? All right, let's go to verse 43. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. 12. Right? 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. With what? Five loaves of bread and two fish. Tell me that's not amazing, right? Just imagine... If you were there that time. And listen, people saw Jesus' miracles with their own eyes. And they still doubted. Just like we do. We don't see all the stuff. You know what? As a matter of fact, we do see the miracles with our own eyes all the time. And we still doubt him. The miracle is we're still alive and breathing. He opened our eyes and heaven is our home. He saved us from hell. That should be enough for us to want to serve him and give our life to him for the rest of our lives. But human beings are greedy. They want more and more and more from him. And then they forget about what? Giving. Giving, giving. All they want to do is take, take, take. Can I get an amen for this? When we become a Christian, we be go from being a taker to a what? Giver. That's how you know that you're transforming. Instead of taking... You're here to give, not to take. Again, amen. amen. That's how you know that you are actually transforming. You're not asking for your needs to be met. You're asking to meet other people's needs. Amen. That's how you really find salvation and joy in your life. The joy is in giving, not receiving. Amen? Amen. 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 Jesus walks on water. Verse 45. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. While he sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. So God himself, right, had to go and pray. <laughs> the, the guy that asked us to pray, prays too. He does everything he asks us to do, right? Late that night, verse 47, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves about three o'clock in the morning. Jesus came toward them walking on the water. They must have been like... <laughs> 
Is this a mirage? What, what the heck is this? Am I hallucinating? What was in that food? <laughs> right? No, you have to imagine what's going on in their heads. This guy's walking on water. The boat's ready to sink, and he's floating. Listen, let's keep going here. <laughs> Jesus came towards them walking on the water. He intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Or the I am is here. Greek reads the I am. That's, he's taking scripture from Exodus 3, verse 14. Okay, before we go on, the disciples were afraid, right? But Jesus' presence calmed their fears. How about you? When you get into the word of God, does that calm your fears? Jesus is with you. When you experience fear, do you try to deal with it yourself? Or do you let Jesus deal with it? In times of fear and uncertainty, it's calming to know that Christ is always with you. Matthew 28, 20. To recognize Christ's presence is the antidote for fear. Then get a bigger amen for that. Come on now. Come on, wake up, people. Amen. Verse 51. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. They were still trying to figure that one out. They weren't done. That wasn't over yet. You know, they're still they're like. They're still rolling that up in their heads. And then on top of it, they're seeing ghosts and everything else. They say, oh my goodness, I must be overthinking or something. What is going on? You're going to put yourself in the reality of this situation. You know what I mean? Just imagine what they were thinking. Okay. Look to us. For they didn't, look at They were totally amazed. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. All right? Their hearts were too hard to take it in. What does it mean their hearts were too hard? They were too close-minded to understand that it was a miracle. They figured out there had to be a reason for it. Instead of just accepting that it was a miracle. See, the intellectual mind always has to try to figure things out. Try to figure God out. Look, you can't figure God out. He works in a total different way in reality than we work in. And he knows best because he sees the whole picture. We're in the moment. We see our troubles and our problems. Oh, God, how am I going to get out of this? He says, I'm going to get you out of this, but not your way, my way. And over time, he's going to work in a situation to get you out of the mess. If you trust him and obey him, study his word, fellowship with other believers, go to church and faithfully get in that book every day, he will fulfill the promise that he gave you. He will do it, but you have to be faithful. You have to get in the book, you have to study the Bible, you have to get into church, you have to get active, and you have to get busy serving him, and the blessings will come over time 
when he sees fit, when you're ready to receive him, when you're not going to walk away once you get it. Amen? Amen. Amen. He knows. Father knows best. Okay, now, and let me, before we go on, the disciples didn't want to believe, perhaps. Let's figure this out. Why they didn't want to believe? Number one, they couldn't accept the fact that this human named Jesus was really the son of God. They couldn't, they couldn't actually put a finger on, this guy cannot be God. Because they kept seeing a human being, okay? Perhaps. Two, they did not believe that the Messiah would choose them as his followers. Three, they still did not understand the real purpose for Jesus' coming to earth. Their disbelief took the form of misunderstanding. Okay? Even after watching Jesus miraculously feed 5,000 people, they still could not take the final step of faith and believe that he was the Son of God. That he was God's Son. If they had, if they had, they would not have been amazed that Jesus could walk on water. Right? Is your heart hardened against Jesus tonight? Even Christians can be hard-hearted to Jesus' words. We can be informed about what his word says, and we can be amazed on how it has worked in other people's lives but we can refuse to believe he will come to our aid in our time of trouble. Such a reaction is not unbelief, but willful, listen, such reaction is not unbelief, but willful, hard-hearted rejection of Christ's ability to help. Instead, take courage and trust that he is there for you. The flesh will always go against the word of God. The flesh will always go against God's word. That's why it has to get crucified. And that's what he does. Verse 53. After they crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. They brought the boat to shore. Gennesaret was a small fertile plain, okay, located on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum, Jesus' home, sat at the northern edge of this plain. Okay? 54. And climbed out. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, in the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And all who touched him were healed. Are you touching Jesus tonight to get healed? That's the whole question. It says in verse 56 or verse 55, they ran throughout the whole area carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. And where is Jesus now? He's right here. People aren't carrying sick people through the door. They're taking them to the hospital instead of the church. The real hospital to heal people. There's where the healing starts, right here. This is where the healing starts. At the heart of the matter. 
Our sickness is from sin. You get cancer. You get indigestion. All them things are from our sins. The Savior is right here waiting for us to save us from our sins. So we can get healthy again. You see, when you're spiritually healthy, you are physically healthy. The problem is, people want to get physically healthy without spiritual health. And that's why people get sicker and sicker and sicker. They want to do it without the Messiah, the Creator. He's the only one that can fix our crushed spirit and our broken heart. People do not realize what kills us is sin, not cancer. Sin is cancer. Sin is cancer, and it grows inside of us when we live in that fallen world and do the things that it offers, causes what? Illness inside of us. When we put things into our body that don't belong there to replace Jesus. You see, we replace Jesus with the things out there that cause cancer. We put that into our bodies instead, and that becomes our God. And then people come to church, but they're still infected with all the stuff out there as the remedy. There's only one remedy. Dr. Jesus. When you understand that, you will get healthy physically. Your soul will heal. And then your what? Your body will heal. It brings strength to your soul and to your body. Healing to your bones, the Bible says. But nobody puts that to the work. They want to go get better from out in the world instead of through the word of God. The true healing. And with the people that have found it are here tonight. They know. This is where the healing is, right here. Not the emergency room. This is the emergency room. This should be open 24 hours a day. So we can come here to get refuge from the sicknesses of our sins. Amen? Let's break into verse chapter 7 right now. All of us need a doctor. Dr. Jesus. Okay. Jesus talks about inner purity. Wow. What, what do you know? I was just talking about that. And here it is. <laughs> One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. You even hear that today, right? Wash your hands before you eat. Right? The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands, okay, in water. Some manuscripts read sprinkle. Sprinkle. What's that sound like? You get sprinkled when you're a, a baby. They sprinkle you, right? That heals you. That, that stops you from sinning, doesn't it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it starts sizzling on your body as soon as it hits you. 
Because we're born sin. We're born with sin. You can't wash it away. The only thing that can wash away sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? There's no water that's going to wash away your sin. You're going to get dunked all the time. You're going to get wet. You're not going to get your sins removed. You wish they, you wish they could. Because our sins are deep inside of us. They're in our cell structure. Okay. Now listen to says. So this is one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremony washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands of God. And what does he quote in there? Isaiah 29, verse 13. What is hypocrisy? Is that, I'm going I'm to tell you, I'm going to define that for you right now. What hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is pretending to be something you are not and have no intention of being. Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites because they worshiped God for the wrong reasons. Their worship was not motivated by love, but by a desire to attain profit, to appear holy and to increase their status. We become hypocrites when we, number one, pay more attention to reputation than to character. Two, carefully following certain religious practices while allowing our hearts to remain distant from God. And three, emphasize our virtues but others' sins. What does that mean? I'm all that in a bag of chips and point out everybody else's sins. He's saying, you hypocrite. Take the log out of your eye. So you can see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brothers. Amen? Amen? That's how you know you're a hypocrite. When you're noticing everybody else's sins, but not your own. But recognize, let me just give you a little heads off. You are recognizing your sins. You're seeing them in someone else because those are yours. That's why you can see them. How about a big amen for that? All right, we're going to have to close there. We're out of time. Yeah, we're out of time. When we get back together again, we're going to go lock into verse 8. So highlight that. So when we get back together, we can get into verse 8. Then we're going to close. Drew, you want to come up and close this tonight? And then we're going to do a video. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word that heals us, Lord. I just thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that teaches us and corrects us, Lord. I just pray that we, Lord, I just pray that we just take our hardships as a pathway to peace, Lord, and realize that through the brokenness, Lord, you're trying to change us, and there will be a breakthrough, Lord, when, when we finally realize what this suffering is doing in our lives, Lord. And I just pray that we never give up and never get weary through the chastening and the 
the difficulties, Lord, that God's showing us and putting us through, Lord, is all designed for a purpose, Lord, to give us that peace that He's trying to show us, Lord. Let us let us always trust Him, Lord, because He knows best. And I, I just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, thanks, bro. All right, we're going to stand. We're going to watch a movie. I mean, a video.